rubbish. Uh, <laughs> See, there we go, half past twelve-ish. Um, for those heading down to, to Carol's at, at Haddington to make sure you've got enough time to, to help with that, to some fellowship before they do actually head down. If you'd like to turn in, in your, your Bibles or boot up your Bibles for what will probably be the last time to Psalm 138. We have parked in this psalm actually since February. So we should kind of know it inside up, out, upside down, back to front, and you know, should, should know it really well. We've used it as a launch pad to go into some other uh, teaching series about worship and about the names and the character of God and his power of his word and, and things like that as well. Um, but this has been a key psalm for us as church, and I want to round it off um, today. So for the last time, we're going to read together Psalm 138, or the last time till we refer to it, uh, you know, probably in 2020. So Psalm 138 says this, I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hand. And the bit that we're looking at is at the last half, if you like, of, of verse 8 there that says, Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hand. Now, I have to confess, as I read that and was thinking about um, the, the, the message this morning, I was thinking, David... That's not the strongest way to end a psalm. This is almost a crescendo and then kind of fails miserably. It's like the striker who, who dribbles all the way up the park, gets to the goal, and then all of a sudden would appear as though he has missed it because it sounds a little bit weak. In the rest of this psalm, David, you've, you've made great statements about your intentions. You've declared who God is. You've said what you would like to see happen in life and happen to those and countries and positions around about you who set themselves up against you and against the way of God. David, you've declared protection and prosperity over your life. So how come after you've just invoked and made that ancient scriptural declaration that goes to the core and the character of God that says, your, your love, O Lord, endures forever. How come that you end it with, God, don't forget about me. And in the back of my head, I can hear Jim Kerr and Simple Minds and, you know, the Breakfast Club or maybe more recently the Argos kind of uh, advert that's on, don't you forget about me, oh God, don't you Thank you very much. 
and it's there. I'm thinking, David comes to this point, he's saying, Lord, don't forget about me. When we're within seven days from a, a general election in this country and when there's been so much spin and hype and questions that have been posed and from all sides answers that haven't been given, where there's just a red script of spin that folks just kind of want to stick to. And if somebody asks them a question that wants to try and take them that way, they just want to try and get back onto the, the, the script. I'm, I'm almost thinking, David, you could have put some spin on this. You could have made this appear just a little bit better. I've, I've got to hold my hand up and say, if I had been writing Psalm 138, even if I was feeling a little bit scared and a little bit of intrepidation, I think I would have ended it with, I know you're not going to forget the works of your hand, God. See that little positive spin that's on it? Yet David comes and he just says, your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hand. And I'm thinking, David, why did you leave this in? Why did you leave it like this? Actually, the inspiration, the authorship is the Holy Spirit. So actually, a bigger question other than, David, why did you leave it in? It's Holy Spirit. Why did you want David communicating the feeling, the rawness, the emotion, that little bit of doubt and mingled with faith and mingled with fear in there as, as well? So what is it that you want to teach us? What do you want to show us? Why are you letting us know that this king, this shepherd king, this warrior king, this guy who would, who would have the plan to build a temple and restore covenant worship once again, there, why is it that you show that you've got this doubt, David? Well, I think there's biblical belief and there's heartfelt, heartfelt honesty. I think David models true faith because he understands who Scripture says and who God has proved himself to be down through history. But I think he invites God into the seriousness of his situation. He invites God into the circumstances that says there is false worship. There is the threat of enemy. There are some scary circumstances. And David prays that in the moment when it and they get too much for him, that faith in the Father that will not forget me kicks in. That faith in the Father who does not, who will not, who cannot forget me will kick in. The good news is for each and every one of us, for King David, if our faith fails us, the Father's love won't. And that is takeable to the bank. Because your love, O oh Lord, endures forever. His love endures forever. Church, his love endures forever. You might want to just repeat that with me one time. His love endures forever. And it's not in an abstract out there kind of way, but it's a very specific, very honed, you and me kind of way. His love for us endures forever. We'll talk a little bit more about that because his love is encapsulated in a person and his name is Jesus. But this is a theme of God's eternal, immovable love. Um, is a theme that runs right through Scripture and comes to the fore often in times of crisis or in times of great celebration. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 13, the nation of Israel has come out of slavery and the rule of Pharaoh. Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt have pursued them. They've just crossed the Red Sea and then 
Pharaoh's armies have been drowned. The enemy has been defeated. God has proved himself again. And in Exodus 15 and verse 13, in what is called the Song of Moses and Miriam, this hymn, this anthem of praise, honoring God for who he is, in verse 13 it says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people that you've redeemed. Now, if God is unchangeable in his character and his way, his unfailing love will continue to lead the people that, they have, that he has redeemed. Is there anybody who has been redeemed, who has been bought back, who has been, whose price has been paid for on the cross by the blood of Jesus? Each and every one of us have been redeemed if we put our trust and our faith in Jesus. We can rest, therefore, on his unfailing love, even when there's an enemy that might be breathing down our neck. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 7 to 36, there is an anthem that, that declares this, this truth of his eternal love, the love of God being made real. It's when the Ark of the Covenant is being restored closer um, to, to, to the, 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 into its tent. Second time around, first time they tried to bring it back from obscurity, a hand was put out, what was on the back of a cart, a hand was put out to steady it, and that person fell dead because God's presence is holy. But they do it right, they do it with worship, they do it with sacrifice, they do it with honoring. King David is, is at the head of that party and that celebration throughout. And in the middle of this, and you can read it later in, in 1 Chronicles 16, it goes on and it's David's psalm of thanks that is being declared there. But it, it talks about um, how, how God is good. It talks about the, the enduring love of God but, God, but in verse 34 and into verse 35, it says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Something that's been happening since the nation of Israel was, was formed in 1947, isn't it? 1947, yeah, when it was 48, sorry, 1948. You know, people, people gathering of that nation, being gathered from the four corners of the earth back into that nation. But for, for us too, that promise of God, that as we call out to him, that we can see God come to rescue us, to gather us, to deliver us. But our response in those moments must be that we will praise you, O Lord, for who you are. I think we got there in our praise this morning. I almost at the end of the first song thought oh, I might have to go and just encourage and stir the church just a, just a little wee bit. But I think that the Holy Spirit just warmed us up in that. And there were some moments where there's that overflow of praise where actually we, we recognize we weren't just singing words that said, oh, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for what you've done, Lord. But there was that sense of an overflow of worship from the core of our being connecting with heaven this morning in our praise when we were like, Lord, this is who you are. This is what you've done for me. Lord, I am grateful. And that is our response. When he saves us, when he, as he gathers us to himself, as he delivers us from all kind of evil, our response will be, we will praise you. Some of us need to praise in the middle of the circumstance too. Because by faith we will enter in. Psalm 136 would, would declare as well, it's just ahead of, where we've been looking in Psalm 138, but it, it, it goes on and it's, it's a psalm, it's, a, it's quite a long psalm because it's got this declaration of who God is and then it's got this reprise, this response because his love endures forever. 
It's great fun to preach it because you make a declaration and then you get everybody preaching, you know, calling back at you and just saying that his love endures forever. And time this morning doesn't allow us to begin to dissect different bits of this, but just to give the, the little heading there that says, his, in Psalm 136, King David shows this eternal love saturating every aspect of life. You might want to take some time just to pray through it this week. But verses 1 to 9, it's his enduring love in creation. In verses 10 to 12, it's his enduring love that's seen in the rescue from slavery for his people. In verses 13 to 15, it's his love is seen in through deliverance from an enemy. In verses 16 to 20 of Psalm 136, his love is seen through the journey and in the wilderness. Who knows that praise isn't just and the love of God isn't just for when you know, it's a happy, sunshiny day and we can put our suntan lotion on and go out and enjoy the flowers and the birds and the creation that's there. Who knows that his love is real when it's dark? Who knows that his love is real when, when it feels as though that we are encircled and entrapped? Who knows that his love is real when we feel as though we're in the wilderness? His love is real, so I've got to praise him. I've got to praise him based on his character, based on his nature and based on his backstory of who he has been in my life. Verses 12 to 26, his love is made good through the fulfillment of an inheritance and a promise. Because that's the great thing about our God and his love. It is in our past, it's in our present, but we're assured of his love as we progress forward in our journey of life. Where even though it may be wilderness, it may be desert, it may be dark, it may be difficult, it may be a little bit isolated, a little bit alone. We know that his enduring love is for us and his love will lead us home, as the old hymn writer said. His love is for us and because we know that God is for us, God will be with us. Because we know that God is with us, he will not leave us in this place. And we know that, you know, come what may, our destination isn't here. You know, Gordon Allen's destination is not six foot under. My destination's heaven. What about you? Not based in Gordon Allen's work. Not based in Gordon Allen's good deed. Not based in over the years how many thank you cards or apples or, 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 or spots I can accumulate from, you know, chocolate, you know, just kind of oozing out of my pores. But based entirely on the action of the God-man Jesus Christ dying on the cross, shedding his blood so that my sin, my wrong, my shame might be forgiven. How about you, church? How about you? And because of that, I can praise him. When I don't feel it, I can praise him. When I feel as though I'm up against it, I can praise him. When I feel some pressure, I can praise him. When there's stuff going on in my family, I can praise him. If there's stuff going on in my finances, I can praise him. If there's stuff going on in my health, I can praise him. If there's stuff going on in my head, I can praise him. If there's stuff going on in my heart, I can praise him. Everywhere, every time, at the darkest of night, in the most sunshiniest of days, at the top of the mountain, in the very bottom of the valley, I can praise him. Because his love endures forever. How about you, church? But we are real. We are honest. And there are those moments when each and every one of us would call out and say, God, where are you? God, I don't understand this. God, I don't get this. How come, God? God, what are you doing? I know you've got the plan, but... David says, don't abandon the works of your hands. But even in that, 
Isn't it exciting to know that we are the works of his hand? Even in those moments where there's a, there's a difficulty, there's a challenge, there's, there might be a feeling, a sense of isolation, a sense of loneliness, a sense of, I feel exposed and vulnerable here, God. I'm not sure what's around the corner. I'm not sure what's up ahead. God, why has this happened? Why has that happened? But there is a, a recognition that says, I am the work of God's hand. The Bible teaches and the Bible shows really the only time that God ever, and I've got an inverted commas, abandoned, it has never abandoned, it's actually withdrew. When God withdrew from his people was when the people were making sin choices. When sin was being welcomed, when sin was being adopted as being the norm. I think there's a warning there, isn't there? Scripture would teach that this only happened after God's repeated request for his people to return to him and when it had been ignored. But even in those moments of man rejecting God, there was always, always, always the possibility of return. When Adam and Eve decided they were going to do their own thing instead of the God thing, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God says, you know, that the serpent's head is going to be crushed. Even the moment that man sins and the, and the relationship with God is fractured, that God says, I'm not going to abandon the works of my hands. There is a redemption process that is going to be put in place. That means the Savior is going to come. The Son of God is going to step out from heaven into history and is going to come as a, as a baby of Bethlehem that we will be celebrating in a, in, you know, very, very, well, two o'clock we'll be singing Christmas carols, won't we? You know, but we'll be doing that and we'll be worshiping. We're focusing very much on the baby of Bethlehem. But he's Messiah on a mission to redeem humanity from their sin. When the nation was overrun by Midianites and, and because they've turned from God, there was a Gideon who was raised up to lead the nation and to return them to God worship and freedom for the enemy. Remember in Judges chapter 6 to chapter 8, when God meets Gideon and, and he's hidden away, he's doing something that he shouldn't have been doing in a place that he shouldn't have been doing it. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. I'm not going to go into the whole Gideon story, but it's really important after God calls him, sees him for who he is, not for who Gideon thinks that he is, calls him out of that dark place, calls him out of that hidden place. The thing that Gideon does is, is that he restores the family altar. He tears down the, the false God worship that was taking place in his family and he reestablishes God worship right at the heart of his family and his own situation before he deals with the nation. Because he wants to build a place of praise and of gratitude and of recognition of God, this is who you are. Your love is for me before he does it. And he does it in a private way before he does it in a, in a public way. But God comes to raise up a rescuer in the nation. When the nation was in exile in Babylon, there was Isaiah's prophetic voice, also Nehemiah's prophetic, and I've got to say his practical action that was, that was going to take place there to restore the people back in the relationship with God. When Ezekiel sees the glory of God leaving the temple because of sinfulness and the compromise of worship with false gods being honored in Yahweh's temple, he is broken. But church, the withdrawal of God's presence wasn't the end of the story. It was not the final word. You see, God's love endures forever. And Ezekiel sees the glory returning to the temple with that river of life flowing out that affected and changed everything. It was both prophetic and it was symbolic. You can read it later in Ezekiel 47 verses 1 to 12. But my point is this. 
that when Israel was in a bad place, when Israel was in a dark place, when Israel was in a place where it didn't want to know God, and even when God had to say, do you know what, I've had enough. You know, I'm withdrawing my presence from the, from the temple. It wasn't forever. He said, my commitment to you is such that I'm going to restore some things to a people who love me, to a people who bow their knee to me, to a people who, to, who say yes to me. God is for his people. It's King Jesus on the cross, taking upon himself the sin of the world, our sin, that actually caused him to cry out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps the only one legitimately who could say that God abandoned him in that moment because he took upon his shoulders the weight of the sin of the world. He became the sin offering. He became the scapegoat, the one who took all of the nation's sin, all of history's sin, all of humanity's sin, all of Gordon's sin. Oh, and do you know what? All of your sin. So that we might be forgiven so that we might be recipients of this enduring love of God. Those most famous verses of the Bible in John 3 and 16 starts off by saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't get any better than that, but I tell you, that's the top and bottom line of it. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Church, are you believing? I hope so. I hope so. This Savior Jesus, this Messiah Jesus, this Emmanuel Jesus, this God with us, the one whose name meant Yahweh saves, makes good on his deal, was true to his word. It doesn't end on the cross, does it? God's rescuer. Who is he ascending to heaven, the resurrected Jesus, who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always to the very end of the earth. How does this help us today? Very, very quickly, just a couple of things as we're wrapping up now and getting ready to, to, to move on. Number one, the historical promise to the people of God can be my now principle for my life. His love endures forever specific towards me, his child. Number two, we can allow the word of God to speak to our soul and to fuel our faith despite our doubts. We can allow the word of God to speak to our soul. The word says that I'm going to believe it and therefore I'm going to live it. For some of you guys, you might need to revisit the, the live stream of this because we, I'm just going to have to go through these points and you know, really think about it, get it into our hearts. Number three, it's an ancient identification of the core of Father God's character, of his heart towards his people, and it births confidence in his continuing presence with us. That this is who God is. This is who God was. This is who God will be. This is who God has been to me. This is who God is to me. This is who God will be to me based on his unchanging nature and based on the unchanging promises of the word of God. His love endures forever. The reality is that scary circumstances invite us to a, fit, a fresh faith stretch moment. I wish I didn't keep on coming up with things that start with the same letter. It would be so much easier on my, my tongue and my teeth. Scary circumstances invite us to a fresh faith stretch moment. I'll ask Heather for her teeth on it. 
It's by faith. It's by faith, church. Because sometimes we don't feel love. Put my tetted lip that I could dive off away. Sometimes things appear in our life that we don't want and that we wouldn't welcome naturally and ordinarily. Sometimes it would appear as though things in our life are crumbling and are failing instead of enduring. But in those times and in those moments, we need to stand on the word of God. We need to stand on the power of your own testimony where you've seen God do it so many times before in the past and said, God, you've done it before. God, you're going to do it again because you do not abandon the works of your hands. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. It reminds us that God is not an absent father. I know we often would would view God through the lens of our own fathers, whether present or failed or here or, or, or dead or absent or whatever. He is not devoid of love or compassion towards us. That's good news. He's more committed to us than we are to him. If you're not sure about that, I would encourage you again this man, you're going to be doing a lot of Bible reading this week. Luke chapter 15, read the story of the prodigal God who is inviting people to return to him. The flip side of the coin is also that the Bible says we are the work of his hands. He's the father who looks for the prodigal to return. Looks from the distance for the prodigal. Has he got sick of the smell and the sight and the taste of pig's food yet? Some of the stuff that I, the guys and I'm a celebrity have been eating this, this, this 20 sinful non-return prodigals are doing the same thing spiritually of what they're putting into their life. And it's time to return home if that's you. It's time to stop messing about with God. It's time to be real. It's time to come and experience the embrace of the Father who loves you more than you could ever know and more than you could ever receive. We are God's workmanship. Said before, we're not mass manufactured. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Father God rejoices over us with singing. Jesus promises in John chapter 15 and verse 4, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. He is totally and utterly committed to us. And lastly, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, further emphasizes that the gang of three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, totally committed to us. King David was living in the hope of Messiah. We live the other side of the cross, the shed blood side of the cross, the fact that we can say with confidence that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. We can say with confidence that then David lived with the, with the, the spirit, of God coming on, spirit of God coming on him in a moment to empower him and then his hand coming off him after that moment was gone. We live with the permanence of Pentecost in our life, the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within each and every one of us, inspiring our life, inspiring faith, power for living. We live in a good place, guys. We live in a really good place. His love endures forever. We get so many reminders, so many emphasis that says he will not abandon the works of his hands. But you know, it's okay if you feel at those times of of isolation, those moments, be encouraged. Father's love endures. Father doesn't abandon his children. This is all about David's doubts rather than the father's devotion. And in the moment, if there is a doubt, whisper to yourself under your breath, God is love and his love endures forever. Let's bow our heads, let's pray.
Let's sing one final song and then we will move on into our week. But if this morning, if this morning you're feeling the Lord tug you at your heart and in your life, if you know you need to get right with God, don't leave this place before you get a hold of someone and say, pray for them. Tell me what it is to be a follower of Jesus. If you need prayer, then, then to just say that I'm living in a place where I do feel a little bit isolated on my own. There are folks who will pray for you. Grab a hold of them before you, before you leave. But let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Father, thank you for your presence with us today. Father, thank you that you are for us, you are not against us. Father, thank you that we have confidence in who you are, in your character and your nature. Lord, your love has been demonstrated to us through Jesus coming and dying on the cross. Father, we give thanks for King Jesus. We give thanks for his sacrifice, for the laying down of his life. We give thanks for the fact that the price for our sin was paid on the cross. We give thanks for the fact that death did not hold Jesus down, but he's risen from the dead. We give thanks for the fact today, Lord, that even when Jesus was going into heaven, he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Lord, thank you for that. That we step into this week with a fresh assurance, Lord, of your love and of your presence. Thank you for the reality of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, come and help us to live for you, to live in that love, to display that love, and to demonstrate that love to a needy and to a hurting world. Father, that is my prayer for us today. Lord, I ask on every single person who's here that you will bless them, you'll keep them, you will use them for your glory and purpose. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.